Okay, welcome back to the United Pubcast. Now, Larry, I would ask how was your weekend. I'd ask how you are, but quite frankly, I do not care. We have more important issues to discuss. Um, have you calmed down after the weekend? Uh, if I'm being honest, Tom, I haven't. Um, I think it's... I mean, look, obviously, we will discuss the performance, but it was lacklustre. It was... I mean, like, you know, you can take a loss. Football's about wins and losses, but bloody hell, mate. Like, to wake up the time that we wake up, 2.30 in the morning, and to witness that garbage, like, bloody hell. It's a, it's a kick in the balls, isn't it? Well, rewind to last week, and we was, look, maybe a little bit over-optimistic, but we are talking about potential title challenges and finishing above Liverpool. Um, talk about being, looking okay, crash back to reality. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Look, on the positive side, I've seen some cracking Premier League games. Um, just unfortunately not for Manchester United. But look, there's always plenty to talk about, that's for sure. And the, I mean, considering how garbage we are, it's all anyone can talk about. So I'm sure we'll rip through a lot in this podcast. Well, to be fair, just you mentioned that in regards to the Premier League, <laughs> the rest of the games have been actually brilliant. I watched the Tottenham and Southampton game last night. Um, pretty much every game has been a cracker, obviously, except for the goings on at Old Trafford, which we'll get into, and we might as well get into the first game of the season, and the first team selection of the season true up its inevitable um, controversies. Um, obviously, De Gea started, which was a little bit of a... It was up for debate who was going to happen, but I think we both agreed it was going to be David De Gea. But the right-back situation, Aaron Wan-Bissaka missed out and Fosu Mensah. Do you put that down to anything to do with Solskjaer, or you think it was solely a fitness thing? Wan-Bissaka hasn't been training that long. I'd have to say it's a fitness thing. Um, from all reports, Fosu Mensah had been training really well. Uh, so maybe it was a fact that Solskjaer felt he could trust Fosu Mensah for this match. Um, I've seen some harsh criticism of, um, of the Dutchman. If I'm being honest, I don't think, while I don't think he covered himself in glory, I don't think he was uh, the worst player on the pitch by any stretch of the imagination. But I dare say uh, Wan-Bissaka will be back uh, this week, uh, whether that's midweek in the EFL Cup or, dare I say, at least for Brighton. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the rest of the back four pretty much does pick itself, but we will get into the back four a little bit later. But midfield, I want to get my one criticism of Solskjaer. And again, this is very easy in hindsight when you look over a poor performance and obviously the, the poor result. But it is something I called at the start of the game, or before the game kicked off, I was saying, I don't think you should be playing Paul Pogba. Now, Paul Pogba was our best player, in my opinion. You should be playing your best player. However, in this situation, he just had COVID. He hasn't been training. Van der Beek has been playing international football, had a pre-season training camp with Ajax, had played in the Aston Villa game last week. I don't see why Van der Beek wasn't playing over Paul Pogba. Uh, I, just, I could not get my head around that. I mean, Tom... I I agree with you, but I'd go a step further. Why didn't Fred play? Um, if Matic isn't fit, which, okay, fair enough, seems he wasn't. Like, Why not put someone who you know has done a job in the past? Because if we dare say, United were playing pretty well, if you can, remind, if you can rewind back to, say, January. Um, our midfield at the time was Fred McTominay-Fernandez, and we actually saw some pretty positive results out of that. And if I even rewind back to, say, the Sevilla game, which was in July... Fred played quite well in that match. Sure, we didn't get the result. But I thought the Brazilian was quite lively. I think he moves the ball around more. And in fact, without dwelling on the selection or non-selection of players, I'd go a step further and I'd say, to put Scott McTominay there in a game where you know you're going to dominate possession, we've been here before, we've had this conversation before, he's not that sort of player. So I think... 
perhaps the, the, it was almost a compound mistake in the sense of he knew Pogba wouldn't have the lungs in him. But in, in saying that, he thought, okay, the only way he can get match fitness is to play him. So he thought, I'll put the legs of McTominay in there to compensate. But as we saw, we just really struggled. I mean, we had so much ball, but we truthfully did nothing with it. And it definitely showed in his selections. Well, the Fred scenario is interesting because he's the, the rumours have been a little bit scarce and nothing too reliable. But you have to look at the numbers in midfield now. And if a player like Fred isn't feeling he's getting the game time that he wants or slash deserves... I don't know. Maybe United will um, look at potentially cashing in on him. But um, again, that is a debate for another day. We'll get into the uh, the actual incidents throughout the game and the goals and the performance, etc. That first goal, I, I think we'll get into Lindelof as a sort of certain category in the podcast a little bit later. I think just talk about this goal individually with Lindelof and um, Luke Shaw. Where do you want to start? Because it's poor defending all around. I think if we look at it and if we see that as a Dan James cross to Marshall on the back post... We're not talking about the defender not sticking a leg out, and we're not talking about the left back losing his man at the back stick. We're talking about a great cross and a great striker's instinct. That's what we're talking about. But here it's mm-hmm. obviously happened against us, so we're picking out the faults with the defending. But the defending, the faults are so clear. Lindelof is literally just running by someone as if you'd be running past someone in an under-12s game, just no desire at all to put a tackle, let alone put a tackle in, just to stop the cross let alone actually an actual challenge, just putting his foot out. It won't get hurt at all, but a complete refusal to do so. And then you can't hide from the fact that Luke Shaw, that ball's come from a long way. He should be far closer to um, Townsend, who obviously scores. So just your thought on the actual goal, who's more at fault, or just your general thoughts on it? It's a difficult one. Uh, I think the error actually starts with Fosu Mensah being out of position. Obviously, Lindelof doesn't do very well at all in... Uh, I think it was AU who puts in the cross. Um, really poor defending there uh, from the Swede. But then you have to say, it's just a calamity of errors, um, as you've touched on already. The problem I have here is it's three... Uh, sorry, it was two on one. Uh, I think it was Zaha who finishes. You've got Maguire there, who's basically covering the area, which is what a, a center defender, a central defender, is meant to do in that sort of scenario. And then you've got Luke Shaw, who's just a pure lack of concentration. We always talk about these simple terms in football, uh, and it's stay goal side of your man, which means you want to stay on the inside shoulder of the attacker because you're basically putting your body between the ball and the, the threat to the goal, in this case being Zaha. It's too poor, Tom. I mean, if this was a case of brilliance, I accept it. And the reason Manchester United defenders come under higher scrutiny is because these defenders are paid like they are elite footballers. They are held uh, at a higher calibre because they're meant to be elite footballers. Because Manchester United is meant to be an elite football club aiming or aspiring to be the best in England. And the defending that we saw there... It was fit of a Crystal Palace defence. Unfortunately for us, it was our side, the old Trafford um, base side, and it was just poor all round. I couldn't really tell you whose sole responsibility it is. I'd say Lindelof shoulders most of the blame because, if we're being honest, it wasn't a brilliant cross. It was more of a hopeful put-the-ball-into-the-area sort of uh, cross, and he, he both got beaten for pace and strength, and I just don't think that that's good enough. Well, it's one of those, you mentioned the word elite and being the best of Man United having these standards. I don't care, whatever the quality of play, if, you, if a player makes a mistake, that is 100% fine. 
but we always come back to players putting effort in. And I don't want to accuse the players of not putting effort in, but a big part of an effort is concentration. And Luke Shaw has just completely—it's—it's it's just lazy. It's just lazy concentration of just saying, "Okay, nothing's going to happen here. It'll be fine." But as a defender and as a fullback, and as you mentioned, as a Manchester United player, you have to expect the worst is going to happen. And Luke Shaw's just completely switched off. But um, look, we've still got Shaw and Lindelof to get into, I think, individually a little bit later on. But we'll move on to the penalty. And I don't think you can really fault Lindelof with it. Uh, do you want to have a debate whether it should be a penalty or isn't a penalty? I don't, um, if I'm being entirely honest with you. I could make cases for both. I currently am on the stance of it's not a penalty. But in saying that, until the referees, bosses or associations or whatever they call themselves... Until they come out and clarify what is and what isn't a penalty by, de- by definition of their ruling, we're going to keep having this grey area. So me and you can debate till the cows come home. I don't agree with it being a penalty, if I'm being honest, because there's no... His hand hasn't progressed towards the ball. His hands have stayed in the same place in the whole build-up to the play. Therefore, I don't see an argument to say it's a penalty. Um, and in fact, if we, we've seen examples um, shown between last season and... Um, even in the few games this season where the similar instances have been given no penalty. So it's interesting. Manchester United comes to town and the rules are slightly different. I guess VAR, we've built up this big social media story that says VAR's on our side. So to feed the narrative, we have to switch that around a little bit. Do you think that, and we don't want to, put, don't want to start playing the victim, but do you think that narrative throughout the off-season and the end of last season will have an effect subconsciously on referees? I have no doubt about it. I have no doubt about it at all. There was always this uh, debate around Fergie time, if you remember, particularly towards like the uh, early 2010s. That's when it really started to become prominent, when our side wasn't as strong in terms of the playing roster. But people would say, you know, oh, look, they always get Fergie time. They always get that extra two minutes. And then as soon as Fergie had retired, it just started away, didn't it? And... I feel like there's an element of that here that no referee wants to be the unpopular one or the one that says, oh, you know, it's only because, oh, look, Bruno Fernandes, another penalty opportunity. They don't want that. They don't want that negative publicity to kick off the football season. So how do you do that? You overrule David De Gea, you overrule Lindelof, and you give Manchester United their serve. And again, like you say, it's not an excuse. Um, The better side won on the day, no doubt about it. And the scoreline is fit for the way the game went, but... Yeah, I've got to say, I thought um, we, United were done hard by in this game, no doubt about it. Well, how about De Gea finally saving a penalty with all the criticism De Gea has come under, with Dean Henderson sitting in the wings on the bench waiting to go. Finally, he saves a penalty, great penalty save. Then VAR pulls about two minutes later and finds he was a pubic hair off the goal line and decided to retake it. Now, if you want to talk about the technicalities and if your goalkeeper has to be on the line, okay. But do you remember a couple of months ago when Tim Krull was pretty much on the six-yard line saving penalties against United? It wasn't retaken then. Yeah, because he's not a Manchester United player. And this is exactly my point. Um, and in fact, if you look at the replay, look, I'm not going to debate it. I think he was off the line. But it is... Does it really make a difference is what I'm saying. Whether his foot was on the line or not on the line, that penalty gets saved. It doesn't make a difference to how the game would have panned out or how the penalty would have panned out at least. The other issue I have with this is if it's a replay of the penalty, why is there another penalty taker being allowed to take it, uh, being allowed to step up? Isn't that not a, a breach of rules in itself? 
No um, one's talking about that. I'm sure. I'm sure a referee would sort of have the answer to that. I'm sure it's not. I'm positive you can change um, the penalty take whenever you want to. Um, I'm positive you can, but who knows? Maybe a referee um, knows more than me about that. But um, it is interesting. But I've got no issue with them changing takers. Um, but it is an interesting point. But um, moving on to the only positive of the game, unless you can scrape another positive. But obviously, Van der Beek finally did come on. I thought he actually played well when he came on. Obviously, didn't do too much. And it was a game United had a lot of the ball, so any type of midfielder like like the player he is, or he's going to get on the ball, he's going to look quite sharp. But I thought he did look sharp. He looked sort of progressive with the ball, and okay, that was a bit fortunate how the ball fell to him in the um, in the eighteen yard box, but a decent little finish. And just a shame when because he's a big sign and it's a big money sign sort of thing. It's just a shame that he has scored a goal on debut, unfortunately at an empty Old Trafford, but a goal on debut that obviously eventually um, eventuates to nothing. Yeah, for sure. But like you say, it's it's his first goal for the club and that's something that he'll always remember. And like you say, I, I thought he was quite lively when he came on. Um, didn't get a lot of opportunity, but I like that he was quite advanced and I think that's where he does his um I think that's where he does his best work. It's an interesting signing because he's clearly been signed to be an understudy to Bruno and perhaps Pogba at a stretch, but I think Oli needs to sort of look at this system and think Against these sides who are going to play a low block, because let's be real, that's going to be 95% of our games. There has to be a case where you have to say, perhaps we could put Van der Beek in the six and allow Pogba and Bruno to be further forward. I don't think that that's the most outrageous thing. Is it a bit attacking and risky, perhaps? Maybe with the way our defenders are currently playing, there's a lack of trust to allow for a number six who is offensively minded to play in, in that style so I can understand from that perspective or that argument but I'd like to see a, a system that allows those three players to be put in together against those sides who present that low block because he was quite lively and I like to think Pogba once returns to fitness could perhaps create a or build a great understanding with uh, both Van der Beek and uh, also Fernandez. I think it's, um, it's an exciting prospect to think what they could do together should they be firing on all cylinders. Well, I'm sure at some stage they will play um, that three in terms of um, how they line up, in terms of who plays what position in the three. Who knows? Time will tell. But I'm sure we will see it at some stage um, when they're all match fit. Assume they all do get match fit at the same time. Without luck, um, one of them will pick up an injury. Touch wood. They don't. <laughs> but um, look, I was going to touch on the third goal now. The third goal, he gets the better of Lindelof, finishes, it's a goal. I think the discussion has to now surround Victor Lindelof and we'll discuss the first and third goal as a complete, but it is one of the most softest central defenders displays I've, I've seen in God a, a long time. Because from start to finish, he was just—I go back to the start and say I don't care about mistakes. If a player make, makes a mistake, that's fine. It comes down to effort and desire. And there were so many times in that game he just was there, and it was almost like he didn't want to get hurt. There was an incident where he challenged for a ball on halfway. And the ball went up, and he had a run on the striker. The striker had his back to goal, and the ball's coming down for a header. And the striker just had a vertical jump, standing straight, and just a vertical jump. And Lindelof was running towards him. And Lindelof had the run up and jumped at the same time. And Lindelof was one who bounced off him. I don't see how that's physically possible, but that, it's just weak. And that third goal was clear. Who was it? Zaha scored the goal, was it? Yeah, yeah. And... Um, he, he beat him to the ball, Victorloff, um, Victorloff. Lindelof wanted nothing to do with the challenge to start off with, but then Zaha gets the better of him, goes towards goal, bounces Lindelof off him again. Okay, fair play, it's a decent little shot. 
But Lindelof, oh my god, if ever there was a case for needing a new defender, it's got to be now. Oh, Tom, I've been... Uh, I'm going to take a deep breath and make sure I don't say anything too profane here. He's just not good enough. We've seen too much of this from him. Um, and if you think of from when he's signed to now, there has been no progression in his game whatsoever. He is a purely European-style defender. And when I say that, I mean it in a... I mean, he, he has no physical, uh, physicality about him. He has no presence about him. He, he offers no intimidation in terms of putting any fear into attackers. Um, reasons being for what you've just covered in, in the build-up to the third goal. But he's had an involvement, penalty aside, he's had an involvement in all of the goals for this match. And there has been too many cases where in 50-50s, it's not a 50-50 with him. It's a 100-0 because he loses every battle. He has, he has no presence about him. He doesn't compete for the ball. He's not physical enough. He looks like he's never seen a dumbbell in his life. And I just don't think there is a case. Even The only argument you could say for him playing as much as he has is he's the most fit or most reliable in terms of his uh, fitness record compared to Eric Bay in uh, Axel Tuanzebi, which I, I, I 100% do agree with. But that is the only case. If I'm Solskjaer, I'm almost taking the risk now of, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm going to play Eric Bay or I'm going to play Axel Tuanzebi. I'll happily cop the risk that they might get injured, but I'm not putting him back in unless I've got nothing left because he is just a pure liability and it can't go on. And when, when you talk about Harry Maguire's weaknesses, it's that lack of pace. Lindelof has to almost be perfect in the aspects of his game to compensate for being Maguire's partner. He's falling short in, in those aspects. He's not being good on the ball. His confidence is shot. And considering the way he finished the season and the way that he's performed on this match, I just don't think that you can make a case to start him anymore. Well, I think we look at... I completely agree. But we look at defenders, and I think we almost judge them. We judge all the footballers, a right winger, a left winger, a midfielder. We discuss them as footballers. I think with defenders, or especially central defenders, we look to, look to them as characters as well as footballers. And there's a certain character you want from a centre-back. You, you look at an Amanda Vidic, you look at Steve Bruce, you look at Yap Stan. And again, these are great ones, so it's it's unfair on to sort of compare Lindelof. It's, it's unfair on him. But we do sort of categorise these defenders as being quote-unquote hard men sort of thing. And you can tell me if this is nonsense or not, and it's just playing on my mind. And again, this everyone can have a little bit of a laugh over it, but I'm not laughing when we're 3-1 down to Crystal Palace. That photo a few months ago of Victor Lindelof wearing a dress at home. That's not what you want from a centre-back. And I know we're taking the piss a little bit, but you can't. a centre-back can't be wearing a dress and drinking a glass of champagne. I take your point. Um, like I said... Um, Can you send your man to wearing his dress at home? No. And like that's, that's the thing. I, I can understand... Look, if he was an elite centre-back and he's won it all in the game and you know he's an absolute warrior on the pitch, you can wear whatever you want. Wear drag out, in, wear, wear drag out on um, Leicester Square in, uh, in England. Not a problem. But my issue is he's been underperforming for quite a fair period of time now. And like I said, he just has no intimidation about him. I'm not an elite footballer. I'm nowhere near it. But I'm telling you, if I was going one-on-one with Lindelof, I'll, I'll back my chances to say, you know what, there might be the odd occasion he'll slip up and I'll be able to beat him. Maybe shoulder to shoulder, he might just fall off me. Because at least I know what a dumbbell looks like and I can probably power him off. He's, he's just so fragile, Tom. He's so tiny. You know how people call him the Iceman? 
the only resemblance he has to ice is his arms are that slim and covered in tattoos and his presence is that weak that he looks like he could be an ice addict. That's the only link I make with ice. He's well, just poor. Well, we don't want to make any allegations. So far, we've questioned his dress sense and what he gets up to behind closed doors and you've um, questioned his um, addictiveness to a certain drug, but um, don't want to be hey, too I'm not harsh. saying he's on it. I'm not saying he's on it. I'm saying the present, <laughs> his, his actual stature, his stature is so slim and fragile that it resembles that of someone who, who, who is addicted to that sort of thing because he just, he, he's just got no presence about him. Yeah, no, it's hard to disagree and we can have a bit of a laugh about it, but as I said, well, I'm not laughing when we're 3-0 down to Crystal Palace at home. Like, it's just not good enough, as you say. But in regards to centre-back, and obviously we are in the midst of a transfer window, um, if someone could let Ed Woodward know, which centre-back do you go on get? Because the latest rumours are coming out saying centre-back maybe isn't a priority for the club, which is complete nonsense but that's the sort of the sounds we're hearing yeah this is a concern for me um the the we're, we're gonna touch on who's been linked with united in a little bit but I, I find it almost laughable that we're continuously being linked with a right winger which of course i see a need for um and but the the link for a left back like look we've just we've discussed luke shaw's performance he's not great okay there's better left backs out there no disagreement. No disagreement there. But most of the time, you can get away with Luke Shaw. I don't think you can get away with this central partnership that we have at the moment. If I am um, Edward Wood or if I'm Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, my priority would definitely be a centre-back over the left-back. And I'd love to go for um, a Pomecano. Um, uh, I'm having a... My tongue's going to be tired. A Pomecano, yes. So if we could get him from RB Leipzig, um, I think that would be the perfect signing. He's got the physicality. He's got the pace. And that complements what Maguire is lacking. I think that's what's really important here. And uh, he's the only one I can think of who fits the age bracket, but also has the attributes on the ball, um, along with the physical the physical aspects, to say that's exactly what we need. He will grow into his game, and perhaps he will still have errors in his game simply because of his age. I think he's twenty three. Um, but I feel he ticks a lot of boxes. I don't see us getting. I mean, if you just look at the market. One, there's not many elite centre-halves out there anymore. And the ones that are there are playing for elite clubs that you're just not going to get out. So unless Liverpool feel like selling Van Dijk or Real Madrid feel like selling Varane or Koulibaly feels like you know, getting, his, um, getting his transfer or the, the transfer fee that's being linked with him dropped substantially, there's just not a lot of options. So it's either going to come within or you'd like to see us break the bank, but... I just don't see either of those scenarios um, happening, unfortunately. Yeah, no, spot on for me. And I, I just say the centre-back centre position has to be a priority. However, you just mentioned that in regards to Luke Shaw. He's a player, which I completely agree in terms of, yeah, you can, you can get better. However, because it's not a priority, you can make do. And I was going into that game thinking, OK, Luke Shaw's back. It's good that he's fit. Let's see how he goes. However, halfway through the game, I'm thinking it may be more of a priority than I really thought it was initially. And you, there are other links with Tellez from Porto. And look, I'm not sure how Tellez sort of would shape up defensively in the Premier League compared to Luke Shaw. I think Luke Shaw is pretty solid defensively, uh, let alone that first goal, obviously. But um, I, was, I was looking at his performance and thing, and he offers absolutely offers a little bit of energy, energy going forward. But in regards to quality, and again, all I've seen from this Tellez guy is on YouTube, albeit. But the quality this guy has compared to Luke Shaw would make the world of difference in the final third. And again... I don't think the left-back is a priority. 
However, in terms of if we're looking at names that are, have sort of got a little bit of weight behind them in regards to reliability, it does look like Tellez is potentially the closest to joining. Yeah, um, he definitely does improve things in the final third. Um, I can only talk of what I've what I've seen, which is YouTube. If I'm being entirely honest with you, but um, what I have seen, uh, and this is like just looking for clips of some games defensively, I, I don't think he's the strongest. Um, when you consider he'd be put next to Harry Maguire, that could be a concern. Um, but like you say, it definitely offers something in the final third. And perhaps if we're in a position where we can at least score goals, it'll just put less pressure on the defence. Um, you know, you could approach it from, from that from that way. But yeah, I don't know, Tom. Um, like we've, like we've, we both clearly agree that centre-back should be the, um, be the priority. But look, I'll take a new left-back. Um, I think... Uh, Telas will definitely approve things from an offensive position. We've both said we don't know what... And like, you have to take into account the adjustment period. Patrice Evra ended up being a wonderful footballer for Manchester United. But if you remember his early days, he was shaky. He oh, was shaky as all hell. against City, that was, um, that was a disaster. It, it was, and, and that's the thing. And that's the unknown when you're bringing players in from overseas. You can have the Bruno Fernandes effect, but when you're an attacker... There's not a lot of risk involved there. It's you're just underperforming. When you're a defender and you make a mistake, that can lead directly to a goal. And you you know the way Twitter works. So um, look, it's a brave signing if we get it. Um, I won't complain if we get it. But I unfortunately, as much as I it would excite me in terms of what could happen in the attack and you know we think of the partnership potential with Rashford. Um, yeah, I, I can't say I see it really changing our fortunes too much. We just mentioned Marcus Rashford there, and I just want to touch on him before we move on and sort of touch on other topics in regards to the club. In the last bit on this Palace, the Palace match, I want to touch on is Rashford. It's a quite, it's a stark reminder he isn't as good as we think he is. Um, we've obviously been a bit critical of him on this podcast, maybe over the top at times, but I was watching that and thinking, that's why we need Jaden Sancho. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, I don't know what's going on with this back injury. But since his return from, or since the football's return it's in the post-lockdown period, he's just been really off the boil. And I don't know how much more or how much longer you can keep saying he had a back injury, he had a back injury. He's had a break. It's been, what are we now, September? So we're approaching nine months since the injury. How much time and excuses can you make for a player? Yeah, he's a local lad. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. He's doing wonderful things off the pitch, and I take nothing or any of that away from him. But how long is it until you say enough's enough, he's just not performing to the standard required to be playing week in, week out? Yeah, no, echo your thoughts completely. Um, but again, I say all this, and I'm so critical of Marcus Rashford. I still believe, I still hope, and slash still believe that he can go on and become a great at United, even a club legend. It's just in terms of the expectations that are placed upon him need to be toned down because he's not that he's not going to be that footballer. He, he's going to be a great player for United. Hopefully, he's going to contribute to massive things at this club. But in terms of that world class talent that he's sort of portrayed to be, he's anything but. I think he'd be a very good player for United, but I think the expectations um, need to be really. So they're taking a few steps back. But um, can we try and get onto a few positives? And this isn't a positive section of the podcast, but we will return to our 3 2 ones this year. And usually after um, a couple of disappointing losses last season in the 3 2 ones, sometimes frustration was high and we said, nah, stuff it, no one deserves it. 
However, I think this year we'll try and remain as consistent as we can, even if we lose God, 6-0 to someone. I think we'll still try and find the 3-2-1s, and you can make whatever case. Sometimes it will be very hard to make a case, but even if someone, if, if they look good in their shorts and they look had their um, socks on at the right height, maybe that's enough for some points. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyone I get a three for you sure. this week? Um, it's a hard one, God. You're going to laugh at me, mate. You're going to laugh at this one. I want to give it to Bruno. And the reason I want to give it to Bruno is I thought everything he did with the ball was utter dog shit. In saying that, he ran his legs off and he was our best defender from the number 10 position. I thought in terms of work rate, and this is something like, it's just a philosophy that I've always been taught and something I always believe in. When it's not going well for you on the ball, at least put in 100% effort in everything you do. And I can't fold his effort. He gives everything. He plays like an absolute winner. Today, um, you know, the Palace match was a game where everyone was off the boil, but in terms of the effort he put in, I can't fold him. And in a game where we're saying, you know, Lindelof or Shaw had concentration and effort, um, or their, their efforts questioned, I don't think that you can say that about Bruno Fernandes. So for me, he gets the number three for, yes, a lack of quality, but um, definitely all there in terms of effort. Well, you just say all that, and I've written down my potential 3 2 ones just in front of me here, and just as you're going through that, in terms of everything you mentioned there, do you know who I had as my three points? Um, not Bruno, by the sounds of things. No, I did. Bruno Fernandez for the exact same reason. I thought, I thought he was poor, but there was something about his performance which just said, okay, I can excuse that poor, poor performance because of what, you, what you're doing, what you're trying, I can excuse it. And mm. because the performance was so bad as a collective, I think it was enough to get the three points. So Bruno is off to a... A lead on the first game of the season. Um, I'll take the two points and I'll maybe split this because I've got three plays for the next two points. I'm not sure how to quite weigh them up. I'm thinking maybe Van der Beek just for the goal. Yeah. No. Again, um, I agree with that. Um, he's come on. He scored the goal. Made a genuine difference. And while in very very small glimpses, um, the moments he had on the ball, he looked to progress the ball forward. Looked promising. Um, and look, what's the most important thing in a football match? It's putting yes. the ball in the back of the net. Sure, it wasn't the hardest finish, but it, it required composure, and he had it. He had a moment to think and a moment to shoot. So, no criticism from me there. I think he's a very well deserved two points. Now, for one point, uh, this is going to be a hard one after conceding three goals at Old Trafford. I think De Gea is worth a shout. Saved a penalty. In, in my eyes, he saved a penalty. Mate, call it a trifecta, again agreeing with you. I thought um, there were two moments with the ball where you were like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, what's moments, going yeah. on? But um, overall, I actually thought his distribution was much improved. Um, and I, it was a, the shot stopping in terms of what we saw, the penalty save. In terms of what he did, um, I've got nothing against his performance. I, I saw some promising signs to suggest maybe, just maybe, there's uh, the old De Gea might just be still in there. So fingers crossed, and I think the number one gets the one. No, sounds good. And I, I think we'll, we'll get into Luton just before we finish, but um, yeah, we will do our best to stay consistent, even after disappointing losses with our 3 2 ones. Now, usually our podcast would finish now in regards to usually keep it to a 30, 35 minute podcast, but it is obviously a bad situation. United find themselves in with a lot of off field issues, which do need to be discussed. So we will just touch on everything regarding Wood, well not everything because we don't have five free years to discuss it all, but we will just uh, touch on the Glazers and Woodward and the current situation, the current issues um, that we do face as a club. Where do we want to start? Um, because we can all sit here and say 
we, we, we all know what should be done with the Glazers. We know, okay, get new owners, get a new um, CEO, get a director of football in place. We all, we know, all know that should happen. Mm. It's boring. We've been saying that for 10 years. What can be done? Because the Glazers aren't going anywhere. Woodward's not going anywhere. What can be done in from the Glazers to Woodward to the club? In that in that order, sort of thing, like because it's boring saying get a director of football in. That's not going to happen. So what can be done? I'm lost. From a fan perspective, I I think the only thing we could do, and it's difficult because fans are being locked out. The only way, in my opinion, to make a statement um, in terms of, I'll, I'll give you a two-parted answer without going on for too long. Um, from a fan perspective, the only thing that would get the Glazers taking notice is. They're saying fans should be returning in the next two months. There's even, um, I've seen that there's a company that is actually looking at some sort of passport that will allow high capacity um, of fans to return. Now, if that were to happen, the only way to make the statement would be you don't have the fans coming into the stadium. Imagine what that would do when you're seeing other stadiums being filled up to 70, 80% capacity and Old Trafford's empty because the fans are outside chanting glazers out. Or they've just decided we're we're gonna we're gonna make a statement with our feet here and we're not going into the stadium because we've had enough of you. We will not step foot in back in unless you show us that things are either gonna change or you're gonna get get shown the door. Um, I even, and even then I, I'm not too sure how much that does. I mean you have to think back to especially 2010. Things were really ramping up. You saw uh, David Beckham there with the um, green and gold scarf. They really don't care, Tom. And a hashtag definitely isn't going to do anything. I think they'll just use that to say, oh, look, look at all the Twitter interactions we're getting. 99% of it is saying we're assholes, but it's fine. Like, look at all these interactions. We're killing it. Well, well it's the fan base too big because I, I, I look at that and completely agree. However, it can't be done because, okay, 50,000 people say, no, I'm not walking in. Well, I guarantee there's another 50,000 people who want to go and they'll buy tickets. And I, I'm never going to criticise someone. We sit here on the other side of the world. I'm not going to criticise a fan for going to the game because I, I, if I ever had the opportunity, 100% I'd be there every single week. But I just don't think there is a scenario where the stadium's not going to be full. Obviously, in the recent years, there has been a little bit of drop-off, but we're talking there, there was 66,000 or 76,000 rather than 77,000. Or instead of seventy six thousand, there was seventy four thousand. That's not visible to the cameras and the sponsors. We're talking to make a statement in a seventy six thousand seater. You need twenty thousand people to show up. You need that sort of statement from the fans, which I don't want to use as a criticism, but I just don't believe it can happen with Man United. I think the fan base is too big. Yeah, I mean, look, I definitely do take that point. I think the only thing that would benefit in this case is. Um, because people aren't being able to travel in, it might actually be the perfect opportunity to do this sort of thing. Um, but look, like you say, in the normal world, of course, you're going to fill out Old Trafford every time. I just think that now could be opportunistic because fans will be allowed in in some capacity. And because people aren't being allowed to really travel into the UK, it could just be that opportunity now to say, you know, just to at least embarrass the Glazers a little bit. Um there's no perfect solution. I mean, if we're going to talk about what the Glazers and Woodward could do is, there isn't an issue in terms of spending money to me. Uh, they, they clearly... I, I'm still confident we get Jaden Sancho, and I'm still confident we probably get a, a left back. Uh, what the issue I have is, stop this fiddling around and punishing the team and the manager because you want to save a few million pounds. Yeah, a few million pounds when we talk about it is a lot of money, but 
to the club, it's really not going to make that much of a difference. They're haggling Dortmund to the final whistle because they want to save a few million, hoping that Dortmund drop their price. And we know United will pay it anyway should they not decide to budge. So why are we hurting the team so much in this? We lost 3-1 the other day because there's a lack of sharpness in the team, and understandably so. What if we had Jadon Sancho in that side? Maybe we, maybe we, it's a three-all draw. Maybe we still have the, the defensive shambles, but the attacks at least improved because you've got the quality there. You're robbing the team, and I just it's the haggling that kills us. It's the hope that kills us. I think that's the frustrating bit. The money will be spent, I think, but it's just a matter of, look, if you're happy to spend the money, stop the haggling. You can keep a lot of fans on side by getting the deals done a lot sooner. I think it's just been extra frustrating because we've seen all our rivals um, obviously improve. And you just like them to see be a little bit more in touch. And I think that they can do it. But it's just been far too long um, since we've seen sensible spending. And look, it, they can do it. But I, I say that, you know, more hopeful than anything else. There's nothing to suggest that that will happen, unfortunately. Well, you see Ed Woodward sitting there at Old Trafford in his face mask. You see him sitting there. And I've seen sort of reactions from people, whether they be pundits or your fan phone-ins on radio stations or YouTube, and there's people I see who I don't value their football opinion at all in terms of their knowledge of the game. However, they're seeing poor performances, which we're seeing as well. Woodward, let's say he has a poor, a poor judgment on football. I think we'll all agree with that. Who knows? He might be a fantastic tactician. The jury's out on that. We highly doubt it. But he's obviously seen that same thing as well. No matter how bad your football opinion is, you can see United are well off the pace and need improvement. They're not what you would call the biggest club in the world when you see that 11 out on the field. They don't look like the, the world's best, which you know, Man- Manchester United should always strive to be. We are far from that. We're far from that in the, the country, let alone the world. We all go back and say, okay, everything about Woodward is saving money, and that's fact. That, that is clearly evident. However, just you mentioned there, in regards to saving a bit of money, surely he... Look, he's probably one of the most smartest men in the world in terms of the money he's making for himself... Surely he can see you have to spend a little bit now. Otherwise, in nine months' time when we're not in the Champions League, that is going to cost him significant money. And you just think it makes no sense for someone as intelligent he is as he is to be making such a stupid mistake every single year because it has been a vicious cycle since he's walked in. It has been Champions League, don't qualify for the Champions League, spend a bit of money, get back in the Champions League. Don't spend, we fall out, we repeat the cycle again and again. And I just think... I can't get my red ha- head around someone so smart to be making the most stupid, stupid decisions time and time again. Let me throw this caveat at you. And look, this is pure speculation. Could it be that Woodward actually does have the ambition but doesn't have the... One, the business now to obviously coordinate transfers, but could it be that the Glazers are actually hamstringing Woodward? I see that as a very likely scenario because he, Woodward, for all the criticism I have of him, and don't get me wrong, I think he's awful, but he does like a fancy signing. I don't think the Glazers know who Falcao is. I think all those top signings, or the Galacticos, if you like, have been orchestrated by Ed Woodward. Now, if, we're, if I'm staying on that theme, I have to think that he must want the money. There's no way that he doesn't want to bring in as many good players as possible. Could it be that he's the one, in fact, being hamstrung and he's purely the middleman between Solskjaer and the Glazers? Is there an argument for that? Well, it's not, no. It definitely, it's definitely going to be a case of that. And again, the ultimate problem, 
definitely does stem from the Glazers. It needs a new ownership. It needs a new ownership model. Edward would could stay in that position or, or stay in charge at some capacity in the club. But obviously he needs a different direction in terms of the owners. So yes, 100%. Now Woodward, like I've just said, deserves all the criticism in the world. But again, until the ownership changes, we're always going to run into the same problems. The Glazers will get another, let's say, yes man in and we're going to continue the same cycle. So again, it always comes back to we know what should be done. We need new owners. We all know that's not going to happen. So again, what can be done? And we've just discussed it there. What can be done? What can put pressure on the club? Whether that will be done, I highly doubt it. And that's not a criticism of any fan, whether they choose to go or not to go. It's definitely not. Because if I'm there next week, I'll force my way into the ground. So I'd be a hypocrite to tell, to tell people not to go. So it is a hard one. But is there anything... Just one thing more thing on Woodward. Again, not defend Woodward or all that, but... Um, this is definitely something that does paint him in a bad light. And it has been um, come to wear um, a couple of years ago. But Rio Ferdinand has recently done an interview talking about his last season under David Moyes. Well, when, when obviously when Ryan Giggs ended up taking over for the end of the season, Rio Ferdinand was out of contract and he was up in the air in regards to if he knew he was going to get a contract renewal or not. And he was under the impression from the noises he was hearing or so much not hearing that the inevitable thing was, okay, they will offer him a one-year rolling contract or they'll offer him some type of coaching position slash playing. However, that last game of the season away at Southampton, I think it was a one-all draw. They went into the changing room after the game and Woodward and everyone, so Bobby Charlton were all in there shaking the players' hands, thanking them for the season. And Woodward just sat next to him and said, thanks, Rio, thanks for your service, but we're not going to renew your contract. And Rio Ferdinand back then in 2013, or when would have been? 2014, sorry says, geez, is that how the biggest club in the world is going to be run? And obviously let a sort of a bit of taste in his mouth. Just your thoughts on the sort of admission by Rio Ferdinand? Yeah, it's um, it's one he sort of has mentioned in the past, um, but he's gone into more depth here. And you have to say it is poor management. And, you know, touching on Woodward, it's a good transition because this has been the fundamental problem. Um, there's just purely no football man um, in terms of what's going on with transfers. I think there's a good scouting network at United. I think um, there are some good football people there. Um, I think the name eludes me at the moment, but uh, the head scout, he's been there for 20-odd years. He's been there since um, a good chunk of Fergie's time. So there are some people there who definitely know what they're doing. But unfortunately, when it's coming from the top, and you know we've discussed this director of football thing, so I'm not going to go there, but it just speaks to the fundamental issues. And, you know... To, to let a player who has played for United and gave his best years to the club, to leave him till the last day, to almost embarrass him um, in terms of mentioning his contract situation in the dressing room, I just think that that's so poor. You have to imagine those talks would have commenced uh, well in advance. Um, so I think to do that, particularly at a player who's in his mid-30s, you know, there's, it was Rio Ferdinand, so it worked out. But if that was... Peter Crouch, if that was um, Troy Deeney, maybe they don't find a club. So you're ultimately playing with a man's livelihood there. And um, I just think that that's really poor and something that you'd hope that the club would manage better in future. But again, Tom, I just... Mate, we could do a whole podcast on this. I think there's a... Without dwelling onto it, if I can go to the reverse uh, the reverse angle, we've seen Brendan Williams um, recently have his contract renewed. And I've seen Stephen Housen make this point, so, um, and it was something I agreed with. Like, why was his contract renewed? He just broke into the first team, still has years on his contract, mm. yet United felt a need to increase his salary. Like, the, there's no urgency for it. 
And on the reverse side, in the case of Ferdinand, it's why did you leave it to the last minute? It's just, it's just everything's poorly run from top to bottom and it just speaks to what's wrong at the club. No, very good points. And we will, actually, just before we wrap up, two points, uh, quick points here. And again, the transfer business obviously does change every couple of hours, it seems. So by the time you listen to this, there may have been a development uh, one way or the other. But Jesse Lingard and Tottenham, anything in it for you? Because I... I think there might be something in it, personally. Look, I think it's possible. Um, The only reason I say it's unlikely is I just feel like a lot of things need to fall in line for this deal to go through. Um, You'd need... Uh, I think Dele Alli, it's, the, the reports are suggesting he's, they are, Tottenham are looking to get rid of him. I think he'd need to leave for sure in terms to get Lingard in. Um, but it's one that you could say makes a lot of sense. Lingard played his best football under Mourinho. Um, won two trophies with him. Had his best goal return in, I think it was 17-18, 14 goals, um, when we finished second. So it makes sense. Like, I could see Mourinho making the sell to Lingard. You know, we've played together. We've won trophies together. I can get you back playing your best football. But like I mentioned, just that domino effect, a lot needs to fall in line. And unless Ali leaves, while I could see it happening, I just don't think it will happen. And um, there are a few reports suggesting Pereira's definitely going to leave. Delo's definitely going to leave. So if those guys are going, you you just don't want to see the squad tear too thin. Um so if I had to choose, say, between Dan James or Pereira leaving versus Lingard, I'd happily let the other two leave first. Well, you look at that, and again, there's so many things that have to fall into place. It's going to be a game of dominoes. However, if I'm playing football manager, and again, I think we get caught, too caught up in swap deals because it happened between Mkhitaryan and Alexis Sanchez, and it's starting to become a little bit more sort of relevant now. There are one or two more cases of it, and I think it will continue to be. However, it's still a rare occurrence. If I'm playing football manager, I'm all over a Lingard Alley swap, and I'm not a huge fan of Deli Alley, but I just in the situation that we both both clubs find themselves in, I'll be all over it, and I don't think that makes much makes much sense to Man United at the moment to bring Deli Alley in. But again, if I'm playing a game of football manager and just replacing the players, I think it makes our squad stronger. It does, but does he come in for a Bruno Fernandes? Yeah, like, yeah. I, just, I, I, I know it doesn't make too much sense, but in regards to, I think such a, a key part of Lingard leaving the Spurs is, as as you just mentioned, is Deli Ali leaving? And at the moment, Deli Ali is still a Tottenham player. Yeah, spot on. Now, just before we won't do a full preview because we've bored you long enough in this podcast, but it has been a enjoyable. Well, I say enjoyable. It has been a heated debate, but a much needed one. But um. God, this is now... Are you calling this a must-win game? I know it's a must-win game because it's a knockout game, but Luton Town um, on Wednesday morning Sydney time. How do you approach it? Is it a League Cup game for you, or do you think it's an important game in terms of playing your strongest team and getting the match fitness? I think it will definitely rotate, but I don't think it'll be... It won't be one for the kids. Um, I could see one Mata coming in here. Um, I could see Pogba getting some more game time um, because clearly he hasn't trained. Van de Beek, I could see getting a start. Um, I think there might be an opportunity for a centre-back to perhaps put their hand up. I think Maguire, I think the defence will stay the same uh, for the most part. Maybe Brendan Williams comes in. Um, I could see Brendan Williams and Wambasaka starting, um, getting their first minutes of uh, first-team football or competitive first-team football for the season. You think Maguire starts and maybe another partner um, who could potentially put their hand up for the weekend. Um in terms of the front three, I think I can see Rashford Martial still playing because he's going to want to get that match rhythm in. 
the most rotation you can say is just those ones. Um, I think it'll more or less be a stronger side, but with the exception of one or two. Maybe Dean Henderson gets some minutes. Yeah, well, um, but I you, think Dean yeah. Henderson, that's the shout. I think that's, I wouldn't say the most important selection, but I think that um, it, it is an important one. It will tell a lot um, in terms of... Could you imagine he does play Daya? We're all going to be sitting here and saying, well, what the hell is Dean Henderson doing at the club on 130 grand a week? And aren't able to play against Luton Town in the in the League Cup. So I'm sure Dean Henderson will play. And it'll be interesting to see how he goes because I think after De Gea's performance, De Gea is the number one keeper. Yeah, he is. Um, and in my opinion, De Gea did nothing wrong at the weekend to be misplaced. But the second that he does have a bad performance, the drums are going to start beating. So be an interesting one, but I think Hendo gets uh, gets his first start in net. Now, my main thing for the Luton game, before we get into any predictions or anything, is from my memory, and I haven't seen Luton play too often, they wear orange. So could we see the Zebra kit out in force Wednesday morning? Oh, mate, I bloody hope so. Yeah, something to look forward to on Wednesday morning. At least it'll keep us awake. It'll get our eyes to focus on something. But we will be back <laughs> on Thursday night Australian time to review the Luton game, hopefully a win. My God, I think it'll be tough, though, because I think they've played four or five games. So they are going to be fit compared to Man United. And not only reviewing that match, but also previewing the Brighton match on Saturday. So look out for that podcast on Thursday, our time. Now, thank you for listening. A bit of a longer podcast today, but I think the conversation flowed. It was an important discussion because there are, unfortunately, so many issues the club face at the moment, both on and off the pitch. So do you feel any better, Larry? Let any, any steam off? Um... I have to say, not really. But um, look, it can all turn around with a win, mate. So if we can get up on Wednesday morning, then... Uh, and boy, that could mean two things. But um, that's not what I'm after. If we can get a win, um, I think it's a it's a positive direction. And hopefully just back that up on the weekend. Uh, fingers crossed. Now, hopefully everyone enjoyed the podcast. And make sure you like all the posts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Really appreciate it. If you can share the podcast, um, I'm sure we'll put the hashtag Glazers out and try and get a little bit of movement there because um, I think it's an important discussion because we can all sit here and blame Ollie, we can blame Lindelof, but as we've mentioned throughout the podcast, the main issue obviously is the Glazers and we do need to talk a little bit more about it unfortunately now. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you got a little bit... Of, I've got a bit of steam off my chest. I've broken into a sweat for God's sake. So um, I think summer is around the corner in Sydney. It is getting a little bit warmer, but... Thank you for listening, everyone, and we will chat to you on Thursday. Cheers. Cheers.